All right, here we go. We're back. Um, we're back again with the Recovery Friends podcast, the Recovery Buddies, the Recovery Amigos. Um, we're here with my good friend, Anthony, and uh, this is um, third time, I think, third or fourth. <laughs> I think we've had, we've had some technical issues the last few times that we've recorded. Uh, but uh, here we are. Finally, we're gonna uh, we're gonna lay this track down. One take. <laughs> uh, real quick about the podcast. Uh, we are just a podcast uh, where guests come on who used to be in active addiction, um, alcoholism, you name it, uh, and somehow by some miracle are living sober and useful lives today. So they come on and they tell their story of uh what it what life used to be like and and how they how they um have gotten to where they're where they're at today um so we don't um we don't speak for any 12-step programs any treatment centers or we're not the voice of recovery at large we're just uh people trying to share our stories um so with that said um my friend anthony's here what's up anthony how's it going i'm good brah uh, you looking like you looking sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. Yeah. Um, so yeah, dude. If uh, you know, if it's all, if you're ready for it, dude, just go ahead and start. Um, you know, talking about your story from the beginning. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's do it. And and I actually like that this. You know, that this particular podcast um, incorporates various ways of the recovery process. I was actually in a training. And um, the lady giving the training, she talked about how there's roughly 28 million people worldwide that are in recovery. And, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, wow. has about 2 million members. That's insane. And so she kind of, and I, wow. for those of you listening, I actually am a product of a 12 step program. Um, but it kind of boggled my mind that, man, you know, there's, there's other avenues too. And, um, so one of the good things about recovery for me is that it gives you the ability, you do a little bit of work and you kind of reflect back. Okay. And in that reflection, um, you kind of get to change the narrative. And I know that, um, prior to sobering up, uh, the narrative for me was that I was kind of dealt a bad hand, which I was not okay? <laughs> like middle-class father, mother, the, the, the foundations were laid properly. Right? Know, your right family's wrong. awesome. They really I've are. They really yeah. are. Um, so, but what I would have sold you on, and I don't even think it was a sale. I think it was, you know, I believed it was, I was kind of dealt a bad hand. Um, I was a victim, you know, poor me, all these bad things that happened. And then I get to do a little bit of the work and I get to look back and um, I get to kind of see things a little bit differently, right? And then I'm not really the victim, kind of the perpetrator. Um, I had all these opportunities. I kind of chose to go down some different various paths. And, um, but it's, it's interesting, you know? And so as I tell my story, you know, I'll, I'll kind of be plugging in some of this insight, but you know, as I'm going through it, I don't realize, you know, that I can't see the truth. Mm. And um, you know, the difficult thing, and Andy, as, as time goes, what I really struggle with is uh, to, to remember, yeah. like my frame of thought. Yeah. 
You know, I can kind of paint a picture and I'm going to do my best to do that as to what life looked like. But also um, what I've found that it, the further I'm removed from uh, from that drink or that drug is my tolerance for people that are in the beginning. Pro it, it's, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I find myself impatient. Uh -huh. oh, why can't you just do it? Yeah. And so um, that's something that I'm kind of dealing with right now. But uh, let me try and paint that picture. I know that. In 2014, what life looked like um, was I weighed probably maybe 125, 130 pounds. Um, we ate a lot today, so you know, <laughs> I'm probably you know, written right now I'm I'm probably you know 180 something, probably closer to 190. Mm -hmm. Um, so I weighed 130 pounds. Wow, that's a big difference. Um just my face it was uh it was emaciated you know um didn't eat i actually um i guess technically i was homeless but i would stay on this sofa of a friend you know the house i'm talking about mm -hmm. and it was like a love seat so so i hear that like in in korea there's these prisons where they're kind of designed where the bed is just not quite long enough to where you could fully extend. Mm. The ceiling is just to where you can't fully go upright, just to kind of yeah. drive you crazy. This <laughs> sofa was like that. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> fully extend and I had to curl. And I remember staying on there and um, it would get cold. It gets cold here in New Orleans. Um, and we would leave the oven, like the thing open, so it would heat the house, but all the heat went up to mm. you know the upstairs. And there would be these little cockroaches, not the big ones. The big ones are scary, but the little ones are really bad. Mm. And I remember I would just kind of be curled up yeah. and then I would shake my leg cause they would kind of be walking. Um, and then if I went to get some tap water, they would just kind of disperse. And, um, but more importantly than that, in that time, I, I really couldn't leave. I had like a three mile radius that I couldn't leave. Um, and I wanted to leave and I had no friends. And it's funny, uh, for those of you listening, I'm really close with Andy, and you were actually had sobered up at this time. Yeah. And I just remember, not only I can take being skinny and, and, and homeless, but I just also remember this, um, just being so alone, you know? And uh, miserable, miserable, miserable place. And um, that, that was basically what it looked like um, right before I would start the process, but so how do I get from like a kid, adolescent, to that? Because that was never the objective, right? Like, hey, I want to be staying on some sofa shaking that I can't roaches. shaking off roaches. Baby roaches. Like, I the don't even like tap water, but I had to drink <laughs> tap water. Um, so you know, and how does it get to that? And and here's the thing, especially with the recovery, is um, we don't have a lot of voices, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so I'm kind of a big advocate for just addiction. Um, mental health too, but mainly like, you know, with, with addiction, because I think there is still that stigma. And it's funny, I was watching a, a documentary about, I think it was like, I love basketball. Hmm. And I remember this and it talked about how like Magic Johnson, how when he contracted HIV and just some of the prejudices, wow. like Carl Malone didn't want to play with him. Yeah. Just, not because he's a bad guy. He just had no idea. He thought, you know, what if he's sweating and I touch him? Um, and I remember, uh, so I like 80s music, and there was this song. It was uh, Stevie Wonder, 
Elton John, um, Dion Warwick. Oh. And uh, I think I know this song. That's what friends are for. Oh, right? yeah. I think it won a Grammy. Mm-hmm. And so what you had though is you had this um, this lack of education with HIV, with AIDS, mm-hmm. and then you had these big, big names coming together, writing fucking Grammy award-winning songs wow. to, to really to get the dialogue out there. And then it's funny because, um, you know, about 70,000 people are going to die this year from opioid overdose-related deaths. and um, In the U.S.? In the U.S., yeah. which will surpass the entire casualties of the Vietnam War in its entirety. We're going to surpass that one year. Wow. And there's no one really singing a song and getting the information. And so I'm big on that too, is because um, even within my own family, like, oh yeah, I think they're un- I think a lot of them are under the impression I just made that decision yeah, to stop, finally, you know? He finally 36, decided to stop. <laughs> 36, it happened. Yeah, so, it's um, true, and I think that, yeah, because there's so much like secrecy and like, and, and, and I'm not, and like, I think the whole anonymity thing is kind of, I don't know if it's misunderstood or if it's just, it, it creates this like, veil of like secrecy around sobriety where like people a lot of people who are sober don't like talk about it yeah and yeah yeah and i find myself to say well you know i'm not big on posting stuff but um you know i'm very careful in my in social media that you know um i might want this job 10 years from now and they might not really have an understanding of what addiction is and so uh i find myself kind of constrained to that mentality but um so and so how do i get how do i get from that and but then you know i'm young i'm living in la and how do i get to that place in new orleans and uh because that was never the goal and to be honest uh i pride myself on being somewhat intelligent um it's a pretty tough neighborhood right there were some gangs uh lucky for me i got into some music but uh the one of the things that i was good at because look i'm not i could i could i could maybe fight average below average but what I did pride myself in is, you know, my ability to get myself out of situation, right? My, my thinking, you know, I got to think my way out. And so, um, and that was never the objective. I think early on, it was curiosity. I remember my first drink, you know this story. I think we did it in the first recording when there were some technical difficulties. Um, it was game one hmm. of the World Series. The Dodgers were playing the Oakland A's. My dad went with my uncle um, to the game idiots they left early the game was over they thought and they left and uh anyways if you if you're a baseball fan great bottom of the ninth home run my neighbor one house over david came by and we had we had a drink and that was my first drink and i i think i my uncles would give me sips of beer but that was the first time in my life where you know i'm 10 and uh david's a year old so i guess he's 11 or 12 where I made a conscious decision that, you know, I'm gonna try this. Mm. And uh, so that was it. I re- and I just remember because of that home run, that was my first drink. I don't think I really got smashed, smashed. I probably caught a little buzz. Mm. Um, but I remember that little nugget went into my memory. I said, man, that was nice, you know? It's a nice romantic picture though, you know? It's a nice story, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And it, it, yeah, so just because of that event and for anyone from Los Angeles, I guess I'm getting older now, um, that was around that time. I mean, you remember that. Yeah. It was pretty powerful. Like Whitney Houston did the uh, the song after. It was nice. It was nice to be from LA. Like in after 1988. What, what song did she do? I don't want to. I that was about matter. to start belting it out too, but uh, <laughs> one moment in time. Anyways, yeah. so uh, so that was it. Um, and that was my first drink. 
and I just remember that uh, it felt nice. And you know, I think, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can't go outside of my body and have an entirely different, you know, experience. But I do know as reflecting back, there was always this desire to, I lived in my head a lot and I didn't necessarily like to live there. You know, I remember just thinking a tremendous amount, you know, like, oh, um, am I going to make friends? Just kind of worried, mm. you know? And one of the things that helped with that before that drink to this day, it still works. Um, which is why I will, you know, if you ever saw my Netflix account, I, I have occasion to binge <laughs> is that when I'm watching TV, what I'm watching becomes more important than what I'm thinking, you know? And, uh, so at an early age, it was, uh, it was television, Charles in charge, growing pains, all those things. And then, you know, I had that drink and I still to the, I love TV, but that worked too. And so, you know, I didn't go to drinking alcoholically from that point, but I remember uh, I would go about when the opportunity would come, I would drink. And then as I got older, and so this is 10, um, the chronic came out and then, you know, NWA before then. And so it was the culture of 40 ounce, I'm no gangster, but um, I knew a few gangsters. And so we would drink 40 ounce beers. You know, and it was nice. It was inexpensive. I still remember St. Ides had a little, it was like a pink fluorescent sticker. It was like 129 or 99 cents. And we'd go to Anchor Liquor and either someone's brother or some guy would buy it for us and we'd go back and we'd drink. And it was good. It was fun. We started smoking weed. Um, I played music. And so it was just, it was really good times. I didn't know it would get, you know, out of control. And, um, then there were some consequences and that's really and i'm here to talk about some of the consequences because had there been none i wouldn't be talking here probably be drinking yeah maybe. i don't know i don't know if you can <laughs> recreationally do some of the things i was doing but um so some consequences there were some arrests i know that i was put on like uh like i guess the equivalency of a drug diversion and um i got kicked out of school at ninth grade um I took my GED. Uh, I think I left the house when I was 16, 17. I left my dad's house. And, you know, and, and these arrests, and the arrests were getting kind of, um, you know, that's not cool. And so I remember just basically from young, like adolescence, like later in adolescence to, uh, to 36, a lot of time being spent mentally on... Um, trying to get my way out of a situation, you know, just so much. I swear I probably could have solved. Um, I, I, you know, I used to say, man, I could have designed like the machine that runs off no energy that could give the earth. But mm -hmm. no, all that time was spent on how the hell am I going to get out of these problems? And mm. so it was just this constant, um, which is still hard to kick, you know, even when something to this day, when something good happens, there is still that muscle memory of, you know, waiting for the, the other shoe to drop hmm. or something good happens, I kind of turn around, Yeah, you really? know? And so even, even at that point, if something good would happen, there's always something, you know, it was a result of my actions. And um, so with some arrest, I remember some of the ways, and I want to talk about some of the ways that I tried to um, get around it, right? Because with this addiction, there was, uh, I had various plans on how I was going to face the enemy. And one of them, was my environment, right? I grew up, these guys were going nowhere. 
I think the number one, like, like at my high school, like they do a lot of army recruiting. Like, you know, you're not really going to a lot of colleges. I know we have a good football program or did. And so a lot of the guys that I was drinking with, there was no future. Um, and so I remember thinking, man, you know, maybe it's this environment. And so uh, I moved. I moved with my mom for a little bit in West LA. I moved to San Diego. I think I even did a treatment stint at like 17 on the condition of my mom. And it was just like, man, if I get around some, some, you know, positive people, then it'll, it'll change. And at this point, there's no desire to want to stop. It's just, I want to control my drinking and using, Yeah, you know? And, but when I say control, I want to do it and not suffer content. I can suffer monetary consequences. Like I don't mind being broke on Monday. But I don't want to be in fucking jail on Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. And so how do I do that? That's these people, man. That's the, the neighborhood's no good. You know, I go to a more affluent neighborhood and they're not going to mess with me. You know, you go to a nice neighborhood, the cops work for you. You know, <laughs> sir, is there anything I can do for the, the neighborhood I grew in? What the fuck you doing here? Yeah. And so, okay, maybe I'll just go to a new neighborhood. And um, all this time, I remember I moved down to San Diego and this is in, in my drinking using there were, there were certain moments you know, I don't know if it was like a line in the sand, but there were certain moments where, you know, the, the, something shifted and you could not go back, you know, and uh, like the innocence of using kind of just, it was gone. And I could never go back to before that day. And one of them was, uh, I'm living in San Diego, this girl, and I love this girl. Um, she's pregnant and I'm with, uh, I was staying with some friends and then she moved down. And so we had a little apartment in Pacific beach and I love this girl. Um, and she's pregnant and long story short, we, we, it's tough. Um, we gave the baby up for adoption. Um, just cause we wanted, we wanted that kid to have things that, you know, we couldn't provide and you know, I could barely hold a job. She could hold a job, but you know, one of the things that was instilled in me is like my sister went to a good college and then she went, you know, she went to graduate school. My dad did the same thing. And, you know, I never did, but damn it, I wanted to. And um, I wanted my son to be able to have those options. So we gave we gave the kid up for adoption and uh, a little time had passed. And um, we're fighting and really the fight when I say we're fighting is like I'm using, you know, I'm not present yeah. like we're both hurting. But, you know, she was able to kind of be present in her, in her, in her pain and I, and I'm getting fucked up and, um, she left not, not, we separated and she went to live with her sisters out in Oceanside or Escondido. I can't remember. And, um, and if I, let me try and, so I love this girl and I don't want to lose her. Okay. And at the same time, I don't like the way I feel regarding the adoption. And then now with her leaving. And so, um, so this is it. This is, this is a line in the sand. Right. And I remember I didn't really talk about my family. You've met my father. Great guy. Great guy. Not a great communicator. So the, the house we lived in, I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, the house we lived in was, uh, it was not an, I love you family. And this is not, this isn't a jab at my family. This is just the, the, the facts, you know, we showed that we loved each other. We just weren't the type that communicated it. And I love you, dad. Mm. I love you, son. Okay, <laughs> we didn't do that. But 
we definitely did. And it was never like, oh, I don't think he that that wasn't there. Yeah. It's just the ability to kind of discuss on an emotional level that muscle wasn't worked out. No. Okay. And so that being said, she's gone. Okay. Kids up for adoption. I'm by myself. And, um, I remember I had a, I had a VW bug beetle is a beetle. Um, and I was living in Pacific beach in San Diego and I had a cousin who lived in long beach. That bastard still lives in long beach. And I said, man, if anyone will know, and me and my cousin just, you know, we used together. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I knew in my heart because the guys that I was living with in San Diego, now I had gone there on a geographic, right? Mm. So they don't really know. I, I'm giving them like 30% of the, you know, <laughs> the facts. Yeah. Um, my cousin, he knows the whole thing. So I thought, man, if anyone's going to know how I'm feeling, it's going to be him. And so I drove. I made the two-hour drive. It was late, <laughs> I remember. And I, I went to, he was living in a little duplex in Long Beach. And um, so you went up there specifically to talk to him about what was going on with you. Probably get fucked up too, but yes. But you yes. went up there with the mind, I'm going to yeah. talk this out with somebody. Yeah, because. Which is like a big, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. I, and that's a big deal, I think, like, I mean, definitely with your upbringing, but like for anybody, you know? Yeah, this right? was me. Like, I, I don't like the circumstances. Yeah. And fuck, we're going to hash this out. We're going to talk it out. <laughs> you know, God, he had no idea. I just, hey, bro, you home? Yeah, oh, I'm on my I'm way. Coming over. Yeah. So I remember I went up there and I kind of had to build myself. I, I had a cigarette and I went in, I talked to them. And this is me completely vulnerable. It, it's it, when I say it. So it's funny because now I tell all this. So I live in a house, three girls. I'm outnumbered. Okay. It's, it's a struggle to get in the bathroom, but I tell them on a regular basis, I love you. This is a gift of recovery, yeah. right? But at this time back then, I'm going to say this and it's going to be like, Oh, that doesn't even sound this deep for me listeners. Okay. <laughs> it's deep for me. And so I, oh, I pumped myself up and I said, man, and this is what I asked him. I said, do you ever think we're using for the wrong reason? You know, that's it. Right. Simple and wrong reason, meaning like I. So when I said that I didn't, why am I keep doing the things that are making me lose the things I love the most? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so why do I keep doing so when I say, well, are, do you feel like you're using for the wrong reasons is because I can't stop getting fucked up, but I love these people and they're all just running away from me. And so um, I said, and I didn't say all that. I say, bro, you ever think you're using for the wrong reasons? And this was his answer. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Right? And I know in my heart of hearts, he had no idea that this was me being completely vulnerable. And he probably wasn't at a place in his life where he could relate with that. I think in the future, yeah. he would come to a place, you know, where he would probably ask himself that question. But um, yeah, his response was like, Dude, what? And I remember that moment, it like it seared into my brain. Wow. And I remember this was the, 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 the inner monologue. Fuck, Anthony, what did you do? Hmm. Damn it. Now you. So let me explain a little bit about the people I hung out with. Okay. If you fell asleep first, the people that, that I hung out with, bad things happen 
to you. <laughs> now, back then, there's Polaroid cameras, yeah. right? Or I guess you could get it developed. But if you fell asleep, you would have a Polaroid picture out in the universe with your buddy's dick right on your forehead, okay? <laughs> or they would write on you. Um, they would do all kinds. Of, I mean, sometimes they just kind of punch you and I'm laughing. And so, um, and on top of that, that's if you like knock out just on a general everyday level, there was this, this daily barrage of trying to find your button. Mm. And if they found your button, they would press it. And the, the way we showed love is we would just keep pressing it until it calloused up and it was no longer a button. And then we went about to search for the next button. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, don't show vulnerability, bro. And so I remember asking that question and thinking, fuck, now he's got this over mine, you know? Yeah. And so I remember coming up with, now I'm going to have to find something out about him. Because yeah. he might, in public, be like, hey, remember that time? Remember that time you were being a <laughs> bitch? Right? And he, the thing is, this is all in my head, right? But I remember thinking, now I'm going to have to get some dirt on my cousin. <laughs> and by me knowing that, it will neutralize what he now knows about me. Yeah. And we'll just clear the playing field. Yeah. Never. But most importantly is I remember telling him, I, I will never, ever, ever, ever do that again. And it that was my go-to anyway. Bottle it in. Bot my dad's dick. Bottle it in, son. <laughs> just keep pushing it till you can't push no more. <laughs> and this just reinforced it. Oh, man, verbal, like communicating sucks. And dumb. And the thing is, and, you know, I eventually would overcome that, but it was just this, um, from that point on, it was this, uh, no one understands me. I can't even talk about this thing. And, and, you know, as I got older, I wouldn't even understand what it was that I was going through, but I had learned a lesson at an early age. You don't talk about it. Mm. You know, they don't understand anyway. And so time would pass and, um, you know, I would get locked up quite a bit, um, various states. And I don't want to go too far into that, but what, what did end up, uh, what did end up happening was I came to New Orleans and, yeah. um, I mean, so I would say, yeah. okay, let's just stop right real quick. We'll take a quick break. Uh, no, this is an awkward transition, <laughs> yeah. but, but, uh, we have to, uh, stop all, and then we'll restart another recording. Take a quick bathroom break or something. Okay. Right, cool. Okay, cool. We're back. Bathroom break and all. Um, <laughs> all right, so if you want to pick back up, I think you were, you had just made it to New Orleans. Um, um yes. I, 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 I kind of want to fast forward. I want to, uh, and I think I want to touch on some, just basically some general. So, you know, the, the one I was discussing is, I, I keep doing the things, and here's the thing about addiction, okay? I guess it'd be nice if I was, A, like a sociopath, right? No empathy, like I don't care. The thing about addiction, and, and I'm not a sociopath, is that I do care. Like I love my family, and even though I was out of the house by like 17, I would come back and, you know, every now and then if I got locked up. But um, the thing about addiction is it hurts those that I love the most, mm. you know, and, and I wish it didn't. Um, and so, and I didn't like, and so I keep doing these things that hurt 
and drive away the people I love the most. And then the, the cycle on that is that now when they leave, I feel worse than before they left. And so now I have to keep using. And I kind of touched on it on that one story. And that was the thing. It was just um, lots of times, you know, it, it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to see what drugs and alcohol do to somebody. You can go to a criminal district court, sit in there all day, and you will see, okay, the symptoms of drug and alcohol use. Okay, it's, it's very easy. DUIs, incarceration, loss of family, divorce, all right? It's easy to see what they do to you, but I think it takes another alcoholic or another addict to understand what it does for me. And we talked early on about how there's that misconception, all right, that people that don't really understand this thing, think, you know, well, I don't get it. It's because you don't really get what it does for me, okay? And so when she leaves, when I get fired, okay, when I'm in a new city all by myself, lonely, in hopes that this would be a better thing, is, you know, what that does for me is it makes that okay. And I don't really think unless you have it, you, you will understand it. You know, just like I don't know, okay, I don't have cancer. I never had it. And so, but it, it's funny. You see the, the, you know, the men and women, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. I'm John, I'm a cancer survivor. They say it like, you know, like they were anointed. And, and what I, you know, I don't know what they went through when they got that diagnosis. I'm sure their mortality's flashing before their eyes. You know, what did I do with them? I have no idea what they feel. But I do know that when they say that, the beautiful thing about that is they say it as a strength, as, as, as a source of strength. Yeah. You know, I'm Nancy, I'm a cancer survivor. Yeah. You know, and I think just like when you hear like, you know, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. You know, is that it's that source of strength. Um, but, you know, and, and a lot of people, you don't know what it will do for me. And, and what it's doing for me as I'm coming to New Orleans and things are getting worse. And I don't want to go into detail, but it got progressively worse. We're talking incarceration stints, um, you know, just loss of trust. The progression got worse. That's really, funny. really worse. Yeah. Right. And so what it does for me is like and that's a miserable space to be in is it makes it a little bit more tolerable. Right. Getting loaded. And so when I came here um, and this was the this was the the. the bright idea I had I'm gonna come to New Orleans and I did good I did good for about six months maybe a year you know uh, I was just drinking beer um little cocaine but mainly mm -hmm. just beer and occasionally some weed and I was working two jobs and uh fast forward you know I, I met a girl and how it really ended was I had an arrest um they gave me like diversion, I couldn't do that. Then they gave me drug court, I couldn't do that. And so right before the recovery process started is that I, I was basically a fugitive. Hmm. Okay, I'd been on the run for a few years. I was looking at eight flat. For those of you that don't, that means, you know, you're gonna do every day of eight years. Um, and you know, and that's basically the situation with the sofa, all that going on, and how I came into recovery. And, and my path did, it, it, it involved a, an inpatient treatment center and a lot of 12-step recovery, okay? And I wanna talk a little bit about what that was like. Um, 
I did not have a lot of social skills. Okay. I was good for like 10 minutes. I could bullshit you for 10 minutes, but if we sat in a room and talked about anything substantial for more than 10 minutes, you would realize, oh, wait. Con. Yeah. Con here. He's, he's full of shit. <laughs> right? And so, and that's basically, I lived my life very short intervals. I'd see you for, oh, hey, you know. Um, but anything longer than that, you just, uh, you saw the holes, you know. And um, so when I came in, so number one, I was terrified. I did not know this. I would have told you I'm angry and I probably was angry, but, and that's the thing what I opened with, you get to look back. What I've since come to find is anger is rooted in fear, right? But that took a little bit of work mm. to, I probably even read that, but right to internalize that it took a little bit of work. And so when I came in, I have very, very few life skills. Um, I have nothing to talk. And so, you know, what scared me the most was talking to someone not even successful okay i'm not talking like an entrepreneur or ceo if i'm talking to someone that had a job for like five years right i had nothing to talk about i could maybe talk about the weather and then the past 10 years have just been chaos and mm. it's been disappointment and even though there were opportunities thrown my way i had um, smashed them and so i had nothing and that was the thing i think like when i would go see my sister right and her friends they do they do, they do well they um and i remember just being terrified and just having to come up with a lie but they're smart too <laughs> so i'd have to really think of this lie study and just that i would be exposed you know that that shit, i'm just a loser mm. and so when i came in i don't have these life skills but i do have a few things going for me okay and i want to talk about that and i don't know what the listening audience is where they're going to be at but i know that um if you're new in the recovery process right new to sobriety um, these are things that I think would help. There are things I wish I would have understood and, you know, um, and some of the lessons that I learned is so some of the, th like of the skill sets that I did possess is, um, I could spot and, and I'm still good at this. I can spot someone with alcoholism or addiction. It's just, you know, hmm. it's like a sixth sense, yeah. right? You can put me in, uh, I don't know, you can put me anywhere. You could drop me in another country that don't, you know, where they don't speak English and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find my way. And uh, so that's one thing. Um, I know if you're full of shit, okay? And that's just a skill set that the, the, the life that I had lived, I mean, it comes in handy in sobriety too, but the, the particular life that I lived, is um if you didn't know who was pulling your chain like you could get hurt mm. right or get screwed over and so i was really really good and you know what a incarceration will really help you with that too um i was really good at understanding you know who's full of shit and i, I that's something i thought oh, he's full of it all right so i have that going for me and then um i know if you're sober i do know right it would be the opposite of how i look in the mirror <laughs> and uh, so I got these three and, and so, okay, so I got these three things going for me, nothing else, you know, maybe something else, but, uh, and that's it. And so I remember I would go to these, these meetings, right. And, and they would, uh, if you go to these 12 step meetings, the, the first thing they identify, hey, I'm Bobby, I'm an alcoholic, whatever. Mm. And so, uh, they would say that, and, and this was my mentality when I came in, you know, I don't want to be here. Um, and I think initially I came to just try and escape that, 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 
that eight flat years that they, you know, they wanted me to do. So they would say, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I'd call bullshit. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. I know what an alcoholic, I can spot it. It's one of the few good things. I, and when I would go to a new city or a new town or new whatever, and I have lived in a few towns too, um, I could, you know, and I'd feel lonely and I'd, I'd get a job and I could see it. Oh man, James, I just, I, he's got that look. And so I could spot it. And these people were claiming that they were alcoholics or they were addicts. And I'm saying, no, I, that, it's, it's not registering. That's one of the few good things that I'm good at. And I'm not seeing it. Okay. And then they would talk. Um, I said, man, they, I, they, they would talk and I would think, man, they, they're full of shit. Right. And, um, and then I would look though. And here's the thing about if you ever go and, and wherever, I mean, you go to one of these meetings or, um, there, there is a look in their eye, you know, it, it, it they're not red, they're not glossed over. There's kind of, um, I know they're sober, okay? So I said, man, I don't think, I don't think that, you know, and here's the other thing, okay? When I came, so they're saying that they're sober. And as I'm sitting there, I myself am sober, okay? And I'm relating this as experience. So I'm sitting there and I'm sober. And one of the things that I really, that I struggled with is that the way I felt on the inside did not match how they looked on the outside. And what I was seeing was happiness. What I was seeing was like a fellowship. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And they seemed happy sober and I'm sitting in the back and I'm saying man they're full of shit and then I also remember thinking I must not be like them mm. they're sober and happy and I'm over here angry and I would come to find I'm just terrified yeah. right and so it was just uh, I was it was you know it was a separation and um you know in order for me to really prove that they were full of it is I had to that's that's the kicker is that I need to back that up with some facts and so I listened hmm. and I remember, you know, it's funny too. I, I just, you know, a few years back, I was very evangelical about recovery. Oh, you got to do it this way. You got to speak a solution. And if I'm really honest, one of the things, and I know you've heard this, one of the things that stood out to me, okay, it wasn't like where this gentleman talked about climbing this mountain, sitting down and meditating for eight straight days. He only drank water from a fresh coconut. No, it wasn't that. So what he That's shared, my story. You remember. <laughs> you remember my story. <laughs> what he talked about was that when he would be, you know, on, on a bender and he would be at the bar and he frequented some of the bars that I had in the quarter and he would be he would be pissing. Right. And it's not a urinal. It's like a toilet. And he would rub his finger on the top part. OK. And if anything white came back, he would rub it on his gum. Indicative of cocaine. <laughs> Right. Or meth. I don't want to leave meth out. I mean, come on, maybe. So but I remember thinking he said that and it's not a spiritual bomb. Right. It's really not. It's actually disgusting. Pretty gross. Right. Yeah. And uh, but I remember when I heard that thinking um, and this guy was sober. He looked sober. He looked happy. And I remember thinking, I don't think he would lie about that. Mm. 
Why would he lie about something like that? And I remember, even though I did, I actually, I might've done that thing. I don't know though. But I remember also thinking I might not have done that, but I've done some nasty shit myself, right? And I remember also kind of being envious because this, and I know you talk about this often, is he had the ability to talk about something embarrassing. You know, that's not his glamorous moment. And he's able to say that with a little bit of dignity, right? And, and no embarrassment. Hmm. I remember thinking, man, I wish I could come, you know, face to face with some of my skeletons and just kind of, you know, he seems pretty at ease. And I remember that that intrigued me. Like, man, okay, I don't think he's lying, you know? And um, they weren't trying to sell me on anything. And, you know, another big thing, another big thing that really stood out to me is um, when I went into this treatment center, I had a backpack. Dude, I still have this backpack. It's actually in my car. I took it to the zoo and I took Madison. Um, I had, it's a little backpack. And I think I had like two undershirts, a couple of shirts, two pairs of shorts, <laughs> and that was it. That was everything that I had owned, okay? And then, so that's what I walked in there with, and then I'm going to some of these 12-step meetings. And I remember one time after the meeting, um, one of the guys walked up and he said, hey man, uh, we go to get pizza after this meeting. Do you wanna come? Like, even if I write that, like, if you wrote that on a Hollywood script, like, okay, that's not moving, <laughs> right? But I remember um, no one had really asked me or wanted me to be anywhere in a really long time. Yeah. And, you know, and this was the other thing, you know, because normally the world I lived in, man, so what do you want? What do you, what's your angle? What are you trying to get? And um, I had nothing. Like you literally couldn't even talk me out of $20 because I didn't own $20. And I remember, and I think I said, man, I don't have money. He said, yeah, I know. You're, you're <laughs> at that, you know, I don't want to say the treatment. You're at such and such a place. I said, yeah. He's like, yeah, we know you don't have money. <laughs> like we, we got you. Yeah. And I remember thinking um, it was the, uh, man, there, there was an attraction there. Hmm. You know, it's like, man, these, these seem like good people, you know. And, um, and that was basically... Uh, that was it. That was, you know, I, I was kind of sucked in and it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of work, you know, I'm not going to say that, uh, recovery is easy, you know, and to be honest, my experiences, you know, I've done a lot of the work and I tell this to some people, you know, I, I, I make it a point to, to devote some time to help someone else that's suffering with this. And that's really the, the, the altruism, right? That's what the 12 step movement is. I think that that's what like religion is. You know, I now go to a church and it's just, you know, they want to help people. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> I try to, uh, what's my thought? Yeah. Well, um, you know, just definitely try to give back. And uh, when you were talking about these people invited you to go eat, right? And, uh, so, I mean, like, at what point in your sobriety were you there? I mean, you were pretty early, right? That was pretty early. <sighs> yeah, that was pretty early on. And um, so what happened when you got out? When you got out of this treatment center? like. So when I got it, and, and, and again, I'm a product of, uh, of, you know, of a 12 step of AA. And so what it is is, you know, I, I did a lot of the work. And uh, it's funny. Um, 
you know, I, I did, I did the steps. Um, I worked that, um, I did some, and this has really been the, the, the key too, is like this inventory, mm-hmm. you know, um, did my step work, did this inventory and, uh, found a connection with the higher power, you know, and basically all that. And really what was really said to me was that, um, all this is being done to help somebody else, you know, and, and that's really the one thing I think I've done well is I, I've continued to help yeah. other people that suffer from this. And, um, along that way, and I think this is, this hasn't been important for me because it's a lot of what wasn't said that I heard that, um, I just filled in the blanks. Hmm. Right. And, and it, the thing is, man, there are some great speakers. Yeah. And when they talk about some of the step work and in doing this and this altruist, right. And they're helping other people. I kind of filled it in that, oh, they always want to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so in my particular journey, there were so many times where I felt fraudulent, yeah. you know, especially praying in the beginning. I felt like a fraud. Mm. I feel, I, I don't know why. I think it was some old ideas yeah. that were kind of ingrained, but I remember thinking, you know, if there is a God, he's got to know, look at this idiot, <laughs> man. You I know, know? You I know you don't believe. <laughs> and that's what I felt. <laughs> and there were times, there were some, there were some difficult steps, you know, when you get to amends or when you get into your inventory mm. or, or in sharing that inventory with another person. And I remember thinking, man, I don't want to do this. And I associated with it that man, I must be doing it wrong because when these speakers come up there and talk, man, they just, yeah. the, I just felt that, oh man, they just really want to be here and be sharing this and always be doing this. And I'm here to say that that's not been my experience, you know, but I did it anyway. Yeah. It's doing it in spite of that's when it's like most effective really. And then that's yeah. when you're really doing it. I mean, yeah. Really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, um, what about, so you said you had like eight years flat. What happened with that? Did that go away? How'd that? Yeah. Let me talk about that. I'm a little confused because I normally, I talk from like, you know, oh, from, yeah. So let me talk about, so that, that, that would be like an amends. Yeah. And so, um what that looked like is so the the girl i'm marrying in january okay so she was pregnant with what would be my daughter and um i had this hanging over i'd been uh absconding okay and i went to uh i went to court and i turned myself in you know and got an attorney went in there and believe me and here's the thing is I'm quick to say, man, life isn't fair. You, you probably could have caught me two hours ago. I'd be telling you this. I think I was telling you, you know, it's not fair, man. I'm doing more, you know, uh, if, if life were fair, I'd be in prison right now. Yeah. Right. If, if I was really, if life were fair, okay. If I was really held accountable and that's just for that one thing, if I were really held accountable for all the wrong that I've done, I would be in prison for a while, right? And so um, 
Thank God life's not fair sometimes, right? Mm. Perspective. And so what happened on that particular ones, I went in and uh, I think I shocked the judge. She's, <laughs> oh man, where have you been? And I think it had been just a, just like one month over three years since they had last seen me. Right. And um, it was late and she said, you know, I want you to come back tomorrow, which was horrible. I don't even know if I slept. And, uh, and you know, she's pregnant. Yeah. And I might go do eight years. And so I went back and um, let me tell you, uh, they gave me another chance. And I, they gasped in the audience because uh, it was drug court. Yeah. Okay. And which if you guys don't know, it's very like if you miss a group, um, there's so many sanctions. Um, they, they're quick to lock you up for a weekend. Mm. And I had been and there was no there was I didn't even go to jail. And they gave me another chance. And, um, you know, there was a part like I think it was maybe a quarter of the way or halfway through it. And, you know, you have to go there. It, it depends, like maybe once a week, go back to court. And then as you do better, that time kind of increases. So, all right, maybe you're going to court once a week, then it becomes once a month, then it becomes once every three months. And I think it was at the once a month point. And um, I remember the judge saying, and it was, I had no penalties. I never missed anything. Mm. And uh, I remember the judge saying, um, and it's so weird, they clapped. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Mr. So-and-so is doing so good. He went to all his groups, and then they all oh. clapped. <laughs> and um, she said, you know, you're changing my perspective on giving second chances. Wow. Which was really neat because all of a sudden it wasn't really about me. And dude, dude that, that's fucking powerful. It is. And let me tell you, drug court is a pain in the ass. I mean, it's difficult to do sober. It's, it's impossible to do if you're still using. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that, oh man, I need to keep doing good because there's going to be someone else behind me that's going to need really it was my third chance that's going to need a second or third chance thank god i was given that chance right oh, yeah. and so um yeah that one ended i mean that's just a beautiful story it was a lot of work it was like two years of yeah. intensive jumping through hoops but um yeah that's behind me and uh, a beautiful thing and and so let's just tie it in i know i'm probably running out of time and so i also want to 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 mention this is that my recovery has been, I've helped other people and I've fucked up so much, right? Yeah. It's because I don't know how to be sober. Yeah. And so I've, I've, dude, I've overreacted. You know, I've made some poor choices and that's what I tell people. It's like you do the work and you're gonna screw up. Yeah. You do the work and you're granted grace yeah. for those fuck ups. And then you learn. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in those fuck ups is like, remember when, 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 when we gave the baby up for adoption, she was able to mm -hmm. stay in that pain and in the, right. And she was able to stay, and I wasn't able to be present. And I think in those fuck ups is where I kind of get that crash course on how to live because yeah. I missed out on this, right? Something wouldn't go my way as a, as a young man. Well, I would get screwed up and I never had to feel them anyway. And so, you know, I would do, you know, with work and that's been basically as I screwed up a lot, but I've also done some things fairly well you know, and then you learn from that. And what life looks like now is just, it's, dude, it's crazy. And so that baby was born. Mm. Um, she loves the crap out of me almost too much. She just follows me. You know, this too. She'll just follow me. And she's just fascinated with me. You know, um, I was able to work in substance use, 
you know, uh, I was actually part of Jefferson Parish. I was trying to reduce the opioid overdose rate in Jefferson Parish. They paid me way more money than they should have. Um, started two companies mm -hmm. that are doing quite well. Um, getting married in January. And, uh, and, you know, on top of that, and I'm quick. I'm quick to get in self-pity. It's like a default setting. But um, I, and it, it, as time passed, I forget. I forget. And I remember, Andy, because, like, you were sober. And I remember sleeping on that couch. And just I felt like I was just, uh, just a world away from, you know, the life you were living. You know? And if, uh, yeah, I have, like, a... You know, it's funny. My, my family's been coming down to New Orleans and they've seen firsthand, you know, you, my friends, and they're just like, you know, if you're not in recovery and you go to like a new town or you decide at age 40, hey, I'm going to just change, you know, sober up and try. It's very difficult to make friends. Yeah. You know, especially if you just move into a new town. And I remember my parents being like, man, what you have here with these friends, like, that's something special. And I think my sister also remarked about it too. Like, uh -huh. man, I don't, you know, I've not even messed up my life and I, I feel like I don't have what you have. Yeah. And so, you know, if I just think about how lonely it was and I don't care, like the business, that's, that's really cool. You know, it, it is, it is, it's, it's nice to build something, but like some of the friendships and the relationships along with repairing these relationships is just um it's a beautiful thing and you know and let's say these businesses crumble you know is one of the things that you know a relationship with a higher power and on top of that if i lose that connection i have a fellowship of people around me and it's just it's a beautiful thing yeah it really is that truly is amazing yeah wow yeah dude that's uh that's touching though <laughs> it really is man and like yeah you, you you don't realize or you forget how like unique like the our situation is like the majority i know before i sobered up and i found my my my, my people um i thought i was never gonna make any friends yeah after in adulthood and i thought that i was um, gonna walk this whole life alone i mean it was just miserable <laughs> uh and to say that like the people that we have around us today it's crazy it's an it's, an, it's a beautiful thing and really man it's something that like oh, it, it, i wish everybody uh had the chance to experience um i'm glad i'm glad you're in my life man thank you bro all right hey right, cool Good man stuff. thanks for stopping by bro yeah all right